What can the law do? It convicts of sin. In a word, what can't the law do? Deliver from sin. Is the law sinful? May it never be, Paul answers in his, now we've learned, characteristic way. Is God's holy and righteous good law sin? May it never be. Perish the thought. Don't even say that, he says. And he reaffirms it several times. And you look at verse 12 for the clearest statement. The law is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The problem isn't with God's holy standards. No. The law is not sin. The law informs me of sin. Look at verse 7. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, The Law's Function. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Romans 7, Christ is uh, not only... As the song just reminded us, the source of life everlasting, but he is the strength for each day. And a vital part, and in uh, just central to the gospel, a vital part of the gospel is that Christ delivers from sin. I'm not ashamed of the, of the gospel, Paul said, because it's the power of God for salvation, deliverance. And uh, it isn't just from the penalty of sin that we're delivered. We're delivered from the power of sin. And one day soon, we're going to be delivered from the very presence of sin. Theologians speak of it as justification, sanctification, and glorification. And uh, in one sense, we are delivered right now. And I'm speaking now of the power of sin. In one sense, we are delivered. In another sense, we're being delivered And it's not without a struggle. And uh, those who would pretend that there is no struggle uh, are pretending. They're pretending. So if you've come to Christ, I can tell you that Christ has delivered you from the penalty of sin. He's delivered you from the power of sin. Sin no longer is master over you. You've been delivered from Adam's race, chapter 5. Chapter 6, you've been delivered from sin as master. And chapter 7, the first six verses that we looked at, he establishes the great truth that we've been delivered from the law. When Christ died, we died. And we're on resurrection ground. But that doesn't mean that the Christian life will be smooth sailing without any struggle. And so what we want to do is... uh, Look more closely, as Paul does, at uh, the deliverance from the law and the law's function in the Christian's life. And uh, I would emphasize, let me just read it to pick it up, verse 6, as he summarized uh, what we've seen so far. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Now, he spent six verses explaining and uh, really what he said back in chapter 6, verse 14. Listen, sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. We're not under law. We've been delivered from the law. Now, someone might say, why, why this emphasis on the law? Because the power of sin is the law. Now, he's going to point out the law isn't the problem. Sin is the problem. 
But Corinthians 15, verse 56 says, the power of sin is the law. It's almost as if, and you will find law and sin going together in Scripture. And so it's important that we understand what he's saying about this deliverance. In fact, if you just glance back at verse 5 and watch the words that are tied together. While we were in the flesh, looking back at our life before Christ, while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. Sin, flesh, law, death. It's not a pretty picture when you look back. And uh, I'm grateful for the but now of verse 6. But now we've been released from the law, having died to that by which we are bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. Now, a natural question arises. If we've been set free from the law, is the law sin? And uh, he answers, may it never be. May it never be. Now, what he's going to answer the rest of the chapter, 7 through 25, he's going to show us uh, that, no, the law isn't sinful. And in fact, the problem isn't the law. The problem is sin, our sin, our inborn sin, our indwelling sin. And what he's going to point out, if I were to just outline it, I think it's very helpful to keep the big picture in mind here in chapter 7 and not get mired down in every phrase and detail because he says the same thing several times and he wants to get the main point across and he's moving toward chapter 8 quickly, really, in one sense. But if you look at it, I would say verses 7 through 13, he gives what the law does. And verses 14 through 25 what the law doesn't do or can't do. What the law can do in the first section and what the law can't do. In other words, it gives the function of the law. And uh, in a word, I mean, there's no surprise here. What can the law do? It convicts of sin. In a word, what can't the law do? Deliver from sin the second half of the chapter. What can it do? It can show us our sin. What can't it do? Deliver from sin. Now keep that in mind because uh, many Christians make mistake, a major mistake in their Christian life thinking that law or the law principle can somehow deliver from sin. And uh, the Bible says, no, the opposite is true. The law convicts of sin. The law shows us our sin. Now let me read the first section, uh, what the law does, the function of the law in relation to sin. It convicts of sin, but let's just read it. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me, coveting of every kind... For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, 
killed me. So then the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin. In order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. Is the law sinful? May it never be, Paul answers in his now we've learned characteristic way. He's heard all these questions before, and he realizes how wrong-headed and even wrong-hearted some of these questions are. Is God's holy and righteous good law sin? May it never be. Perish the thought. Don't even say that, he says. And he reaffirms it several times. And you look at verse 12 for the clearest statement. The law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The problem isn't with God's holy standards. No, the law is not sin. The law informs me of sin. Look at verse 7. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. He said this back in chapter 3 regarding justification. He said, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And God's law always has this function of showing us not only God's standard, but our own sinfulness. And so, as a non-Christian or as a Christian, when you look at God's holy and righteous law, it convicts you of sin. And so he says, on the contrary, the law isn't bad. It shows me my sin. I might be uh, driving blissfully down the road, but when I see the sign that says speed limit 65, all of a sudden I realize, oh. And it shows me no problem with the sign. It's a problem with my driving. And that's the function of the law. It shows sin. And Paul picks a sin the end of verse 7, I would not have come to know about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Now he picks the tenth of the Ten Commandments. He doesn't pick, and I, I think, and we're going to see this chapter moves toward autobiographical, uh, you know, he, he, he becomes very personal toward the end. And I think he picked what probably worked in his life. Uh, he was a self-righteous, law-keeping, outwardly, Pharisee. And he fancied himself keeping the laws. And so the law said, you don't steal. And he said, I don't steal. And you meet people like that. And they don't necessarily catch the gravity of any one of the commandments. And they'll say, I keep those. They don't, you know, the very first one, to love the Lord your God completely. I keep that. How self-righteous, how, how blind to say that. But I think that Paul was blind. I mean, he says he was. And he was a self-righteous Pharisee. And so he said, I wouldn't have come to know about not stealing or lying or the overt sins, but coveting. He speaks of one that touches the heart. Thou shalt not covet. And then you remember, in the Ten Commandments, it doesn't just say that. It says, don't covet your neighbor's house or your neighbor's wife, or your neighbor's wealth. 
And he says, I wouldn't have known about coveting if the Bible hadn't said don't. Because it's so natural, isn't it? As the sinful nature, you know, we just, we've, we've grown up just desiring the other kid's toy or coveting the other man's wife. I mean, that's just the way people are. That's just nature, huh? And Paul says, I wouldn't have come to know about coveting if the law hadn't said, you shall not covet. And it spoke to his heart. Now you say, when did that happen? I don't know for sure. I, commentators will pinpoint it. They'll say it must have happened before his experience on the road to Damascus. I'm not so sure of that at all. Uh, some will say, you know, try to pin it down. When did that happen? I say, listen, it happened sometime in there. And uh, what we see in the book of Acts is that Paul met Christ. But when you meet Christ, even though it can, and it is a point in time when you come to Christ, you meet a person, not a law. You know, you come to the person of Christ. And yet in that process, sometimes the, the Lord uses the law ahead of time to just show you your sin and you're ready to find a Savior. Other times you meet the Savior, but either way, there's always, in when there's real conversion, that there's that reality of how sinful you really are. And so sometime in Paul's experience, he realized he did covet and he was wrong. And I wouldn't have come to know about sin if the law hadn't been exposing sin in my life. And so he saw his sin. Verse 8, but sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. It's as if sin, and I speak singular, sin, and I'm speaking now, and he says sin, verse 8, taking opportunity, he personifies sin, and I think he's speaking of the indwelling sin principle within us. We might try to deny it, say we're good people, etc., but part of becoming a Christian is realizing that, no, there's something within you that is wrong, and sin, indwelling sin, takes opportunity through the commandment, and so which one of us can't relate to the fact that when we're prohibited, you shouldn't covet, we what? Covet all the more. It produces coveting of every kind in us. And there's some sin within us that confronted with God's holiness and God's righteous standard, the law that says you shall not covet, why not? And we do it all the more. So sin produces many sins. It's as if the law activates sin. And then he says, I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. I often have people ask me, uh, just out of the blue, you know, Christians come out and say, hey, by the way, in Romans 7, what does he mean, you know, when he says, I was once alive apart from the law? And there'll be good debates going on what he's talking about here, but I think he's speaking in a fairly simple way, and he's speaking metaphorically. He's not saying he was alive spiritually. He just said, I lived, you know, apart from the law, and I lived pretty happily. I was pretty self-complacent until God's law really came home to bear on my life. I was alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. He's speaking of his self-complacent, blissful, legalistic, self-righteous, pharisaical life. And then when sin really was brought to bear by the commandment, he said, sin became alive. I saw sin for what it really is. And I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, the law was given to result in life. 
it proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. The end effect of the law was to show sin for what it was and to bring us to the point of death. In fact, that's exactly what Paul calls the law in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7 and 9. He calls it the ministry of death, the ministry of condemnation. And hence, the law's function is to bring us to that point of death, that uh, condemnation that drives us to the only Savior. So the problem, he reiterates, verse 12, is not the law. The law is holy and righteous and good. But indwelling sin takes opportunity through the law. Now, did the law cause death? No. Sin caused death. He already said that many times in this book. Sin is what brought death, but the law shows sin to be sin. And so basically he's asking the question, is God responsible with his law for all the wreckage and and, uh, disease and war and all the results of sin? No. Man is responsible. So you could, you could even boil the question down to that. Is God responsible or is man responsible? Because, you know, that's how often it comes up in our twisted hearts. And in the, you know, at the coffee shop, when you're talking about these things, people will say, well, how come if God is God? And they start with God and then talk about all the problems that sin brings. As if God is the author of sin. And so, if you were to drive this question that he's raising and answering here back beyond the law to the giver of the law, you could say, is, is it God that's responsible or is it man? And Paul says very clearly, it's not the law, it's sin, my sin, that indwelling sin. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin. In order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good, that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. The law shows sin to be what it is, utterly sinful. And by the way, don't ever minimize sin. Uh, We live in a culture, we live in a day, we live in a generation that constantly poo-poo's sin. Don't worry about it. It's no big deal. Minimizes it. Sin is what brought the race into the wreckage we're in today. Every time you see the suffering that disease brings, remember where it came from, man's sin. Every time you see the suffering and the heartache that happens when a family is torn apart, realize what's tearing it apart, sin. When that which was meant to be a great blessing and God gave before sin even entered the picture, marriage, a man and a woman become one and it's to be a picture of Christ in the church when that is torn asunder and that all the heartache and all the problems that come to every person involved, the husband, the wife, the children, all the many others that are affected by it, when you see these things, realize it's sin. Sin. Sin, look at verse 13, is utterly sinful. 
And don't underestimate the indwelling sin either that's a, that resides in your heart and in my heart. Not just the non-Christian, but the Christian's heart. And see it for what it is. The law makes sin known, and it shows it to be utterly sinful. So what does the law do? It convicts, very simply. Now, verse 14 through 25, what the law doesn't do. It does not deliver. It does not deliver. It cannot deliver from sin. It can't justify. He's explained that earlier in the book very thoroughly. Now he's saying in this section, chapters 6 through 8, he's saying, listen, we're not under law. We're under grace. And he's saying the law not only couldn't justify, it can't sanctify. And uh, before we look at it, and I want to draw it out and just read it for us, but before we look at it, I want to point out two or three things about this um, section. First of all, verse 14 and following is autobiographical. Paul lived through this. I mean, he experienced what he's talking about. You can't read it without seeing that. There are those who think he was just using this as a literary device, and I marvel, really, that someone can read this and not see that this was what Paul had gone through. It was autobiographical. Secondly, if you'll notice, all the verbs change in verse 14 to present tense. 7 through 13, it was all past tense, speaking, I think, of his conversion and the convicting power of sin to bring him to his knees. But now, 14 and following, these are all present tense verbs. Uh, Thirdly, I think every Christian can relate to this struggle. Every Christian, I don't care how strong you are or how weak you are, you can relate to what Paul's writing here. I don't care how young you are in the Lord or how mature you are in the Lord, you can relate to what Paul is saying. And then I would say this, this should not be our habitual experience, okay? But I would quickly add It will be a constant of life until the Lord returns, takes us home. It shouldn't be our habitual experience, but it will be a constant of life. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in just a minute, but let's just read it. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of flesh sold into bondage to sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. Now notice, he states that far, and he gets to the point where he says, the problem is the sin which indwells me. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Law's Function, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans 
that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. He says, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. He learned two things. He learned that there was no good in his flesh. And he learned, secondly, that there was no power in his new nature that joyfully concurred with the law of God. Look at that. The wishing is present in me. See the end of verse 18? I'd like to do but the doing of the good is not. There's no power in his new nature. God is the power source. So as believers, we have a new nature, but there's no power in the new nature in and of itself. I'm the vine, you're the branches, Jesus said, and you got to abide in me or you won't be able to do anything. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, The Law's Function. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.